This is Steve D'Agostino. This is Kier Nachado. This is TJ Walker, a.k.a. The Daddy. This is Gino Crandall from the Lester Riders. This is Ramon Fletcher. And you're now tuned in. And you're now tuned in. And you're tuned in to the BBL Show. BBL Show. BBL Show. BBL Show. BBL Show. Welcome into the room. I am Jay. He is Drew. Are you ready for episode 23, Mr. Laska? Well, I mean, 23 represents my idol, MJ. So, you know, just for that reason, we got to go hard on this episode. Absolutely. We haven't reached the height of a Michael Jordan interview just yet, but we do have a BBL legend with us this week, head coach of the Leicester Riders, Rob Padanostro. We get the serial winner in the room for a good chat. This combined with all your favorites as we get you the week's scores and top performers, player of the week candidates, fans mailbag, Laska look back. But first. The Marriott Minute. Okay, intrigued me. Louis Petit, former Bristol Flyers guard, and with me at Plymouth, finished his last session of chemotherapy. A brave young man who I have a lot of love for and wish health and happiness moving forward. Niall Gray, our man on the mic at Surrey Scorchers, has been under the weather this weekend, also missing a game, and we wish him a speedy recovery. New signing alert in Surrey, also with the arrival of big man, Lacey James, welcome to the league. Lacey, congratulations to the Leicester Riders women as they won the WBBL Cup final for the first time in their history. Captain Kate Oliver winning MVP with 18 points and 14 rebounds. Okay, engage me. Bristol Flyers star guard Teddy Okorafor is set to break a 40 five-year-old record for consecutive appearances for the Great Britain national team. He is also just two assists away from being the first GB national team member to join the 200 assist club. Good luck to Teddy O. Hoops Fix, with my favourite of their podcasts so far, and there have been some good ones, but as a fan of Australian basketball, Sam got to sit down with NBL Australia Commissioner Jeremy Lolliger as he outlined how he played a part in turning the fortunes of the league around and into the success it is today. Some great lessons we can learn here in the UK. I found it fascinating. Check it out. Podcasters, all things giant with Jake and Jordan with a great engagement piece on the socials thread. Thursday, show us your best jerseys. Great fun. A lot of nostalgia coming out. Fellow podcaster and commentator Pablo Cheeks is leading the way with some gems, including a Dennis Rodman, Brighton Bears jersey. Good job, Pablo. Back to Surrey Scorchers. They have a new partner, Hop Protein. Their protein bars packing some high protein. What makes them unique? That protein is from insects. Yes, insects. You don't need to be a celeb. You don't need a jungle. Hot protein bring you insects in the form of cricket flour. Great initiative and an exciting new company. Please check out the player statements that went out Sunday night by stars across the league titled, What Can I Do? A stand to do more following the Glasgow Rocks racism incident and a commitment to keep figuring out what can I do? 
All of us here at the show stand with our host, Mr. Lasker, our league, and our players. Okay, lastly, our guest on the predictions, Arabella Aardvark, tied it up with me this week, proving a far greater adversary than Mr. Lasker. I'm sure he will establish a hotline for tips from Arabella, so well done to you. Okay, amused me. So speaking of Mr. Lasker, great news, Surrey Sports is going to win. The bad news is Mr. Lasker didn't pick them. He kept them in the win column for a loyally long time, but as the faith dropped, in came the win. So for the Scorchers, they will want him to keep going against them more often. Denzel Ubiaro, Plymouth Raiders' high-flying British guide, is making a bid to become more active on the socials. His early observations are that he needs more shoes and more tattoos. So watch this space for Denzel. Sheffield Sharks got into Dave Forrester's doghouse this weekend by anointing Rob Marsden as the king of the mid-range. Forgetting the true heir, Mr. 26, Darius Defoe. Be careful, Sharks. He's got a strong bite. Lastly, let's finish with the coolest tweeter in the business. Coach Vince McCauley giving us a weekend mantra, declaring, happy weekend all. There's a lot of uptight people out there. Chill. A rising tide lifts all boats. What a great way to finish the Marriott Minute. Always watching. Great minute as always, Jay and Arabella. I will be in your DMs for the rest of the season, but let's keep that between me and you. Moving along to where most of us are trying to get over the hump on Wednesdays, but in the British Basketball League, we got action. The week begins in dramatic fashion as the Wolves and Giants battle it out in a barn burner in the first round of the trophy until the dying seconds until Martin Bouton and set the hell with this coach. I got this and hit two daggers in the dying seconds to give the Wolves a 102-96 win. Brandon Anderson star with 24 points and eight assists. Wolves move on to the second round where they host the favorites, Plymouth Raiders. Thursday night in the nation's capital where some previewed it as the trophy final, but the drawn powers of Dan Routless drew the heavyweights in the first round. Lions edged out the Riders 76-71 where Josh Ward Hilbert in only five minutes of action against his former club stepped on the court code and hit a corner ball three to give the Lions the lead in the final 30 seconds. DeAndre Liggins with 13 points and 12 assists. Moving on to Friday night. Parties jumping. Feeling right with the Sharks shocked the cup champs in the Eagles community arena 90-70. Jeremy Hensley with 13.6 rebounds and five assists. Down in Worcester, the Plymouth Raiders kept rolling with the league high five on the bounce as they tamed the Wolves 104-82. Ashley Hamilton with 22 points and eight rebounds. 30 miles down south in Bristol after being down 24 points to Flyers rally back as Ben Moffer hit a dagger from 35 feet to give Bristol the lead with four seconds to go. But Mike McCall said, <laughs> watch this and hit a double clutch three at the buzzer to seal the deal 71-69 as Mike finished with 23 points and four rebounds down in Manchester. It's something about that Sky TV crew that gets Teo, Ryan, Richard and the boys looking like the team we predicted them to be as they defeated the Giants 93-86. Tony Hicks with 20 points and 8 assists, and most importantly, 
He finished the game on the floor Saturday night down in Surrey. Wolves playing their third game in four days, looking lethargic and a step slow as Surrey controlled majority of this game until Brandon Anderson said, that's why y'all waited so patiently on the Calvary, scoring 15 straight points as Surrey did not score a field goal in the last four minutes and 30 seconds to seal the win in Surrey Sports Park, 77-75. Anderson with 22 points and six rebounds. Finally, Sunday afternoon, where 99% of the men in Britain was running around picking up last-minute Valentine's gifts, but in the BBO, there's no time for love as we start in Plymouth, where the Raiders tested their five-game winning streak against Vince McCauley and the London Lions. DeAndre Liggins and company said payback, so you know the rest. As Dirk Williams cooled off the Raiders 87-70, to 70, Dirk with 25 points and seven rebounds. Momentum building in Sheffield as they hosted the Riders with their three-game win streak. Nelson Henry said, get your weight up as he bullied his way to 23.7 rebounds and six assists. Riders win in 107.93 as Riders control the table at 11-1. and one. Newcastle defeated the Flyers without high flyer Justin Gordon, 74-66 on the road. Fletcher with a professional performance, 25.6 assists and four rebounds. Whoop, whoop. That's the sound of the police. Shocker and Cheshire with a Glasgow Rocks upset the Phoenix, 67-62, and move along to the semifinals of the trophy. Rock's media team got so excited about advancing that they tweeted a controversial Valentine's Day message. I'll let you be the judge if it crossed the line or if you take it as tongue in cheek. And that wraps up an exciting week in the British Basketball League. Thank you, Mr. Lasker. That leads us nicely into the Player of the Week candidates. Tough to get it down to three, but we've got to keep it tight, guys. So here we go. In number one spot, Leicester Riders, Darian Nelson Henry, 23.7 rebounds, six, six assists for a 32 index. Number two, London Lions, DeAndre Liggins, 25 points, five rebounds, six assists for a 28 index. Tough to leave out Dirk because they both played great. And lastly, Plymouth Raiders, star man Ashley Hamilton, 22 points, eight rebounds, four assists for a 27 index. Shout out to three others, Worcester Wolves, Jordan Williams, Newcastle Eagles, Ramon Fletcher and Glasgow Rocks, Christian Keelan. Close calls, so well done to them also. Okay, let's transition to the velvety tones of Mr. Lasker with an Italian flavor. It's the Lasker Look Back. In today's episode of The Alaska Look Back, I'll give you a little insight into the career of Rob Pasternastro. Now, I can come on here and educate you about the nine titles as Lester Ryder's coach, or maybe a sideline antics in which seems to make some fans around the league a little uncomfortable. Or I can talk about the time me and Rob nearly came to blows back in 2014 after I accidentally bumped into him after hitting the late huge bucket was turned into an eagle rider scrum and ultimately had Drew Sullivan escorted off the court. I mentioned that to say, give Rob some slack. 
He's from the East Coast, blue collar town in Connecticut, where he's just emotionally passionate about the game of basketball, and rightfully so. But I'm here to talk about Rob the player. Oh yeah, Rob Pasternastro used to ball, and I actually caught him on the end of his professional career. And remember thinking, what the hell is wrong with this guy as he would do his best Gino Crandell impressions with the ball in his hands. His playing days consisted of 155 games in a British basketball league with an average of 10.4 points, 5.2 assists, and 1.1 steals per game in 30.5 minutes. Remarkably, Rob had one block in his entire career, but I'll let him share that story. His best season came in 2001-2002 season with splits of 14 points, seven assists, while shooting a career high 48%. And if you head across the pond to Connecticut, he's a household name locally as he averaged 25 points per game his senior year while balancing soccer and baseball. He earned himself a college scholarship to Southern New Hampshire University, where he was entered into the school's Hall of Fame in 2001, leaving as the school's all-time assist leader with 919, along with the most games played with 129. Oh yeah. Rob was a baller, but now an even better coach. And that is your Alaska look back. Oh, yeah. And Dan Routledge, thanks for the stats. Great job, Mr. Alaska. That leads us nicely to our guest segment. Five times BBL Coach of the Year, three times BBL Championship winner, two times BBL Championship Playoff winner, two times BBL Trophy winner, two times BBL Cup winner. Not a bad rap sheet. Let's welcome into the room Leicester Riders head coach, Rob Padanostrom. Coach Rob, welcome to the show, my friend. Thanks for having me. Hey, after being enemies all these years, Sky TV now, the BBL show, I'm afraid that we're becoming civil now, Rob. (laughs) <laughs> fake enemies buddy everything's fake it's all phony it's like wwf wrestling out there it uh, it changes when uh, when you leave the floor but um yeah i mean that's part of sports right you compete as hard as you can and it's always fun to um meet up with the people you compete against in different uh, scenarios and different situations it's been like that all my life to be honest with you absolutely welcome to the show my man thank you I love it. Right. I need to get something out of the way first. Okay. Okay. So you have a way of making us mere mortals feel inferior. Okay. You were, you were a top player, a great coach, killing it on the commentary. And now on the Sky Sports team, you're like a natural. So for me, for the fans, is there something out there in the world that you are bad at? Oh yeah, DIY, brutal. I mean, oh, not yeah. even it, it just <laughs> just brutal. My wife does it all, so you know. And my son just left for university. I'm lost half the time trying to figure out anything with technology. I'm I'm a mess. So DIY, uh, technology, brutal, embarrassing. He, he bleeds just the way we do, guys. So that's great to hear. That's always a a, a really good start for us. Yes, it's good to <laughs> it's good to hear that I'm not the only one that makes my wife do flat packs on her own because <laughs> oh, yeah. I, yeah, but you I, you put it on. On Insta stories, you know, <laughs> Coach Rob doesn't do that stuff, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, Coach, we hear that you're an avid baseball fan. So, firstly, are you a Red Sox or Yankee guy? And secondly, I'm an Astro fan myself. Ooh. 
So do you discount our title back in 2017 with the whole sign stealing fiasco? Well, first off, I'm a Yankee fan. Uh, you know, the, my whole family's Yankee fans. I mean, I live in an area of Connecticut, which is split in a way. So I'm really about an hour and 15 from New York City, about two hours from Boston. So some people go one way, some people go the other. Yankees all the way. Uh, and to answer your question, absolutely no way. Player hater of the year. Do I count that World Series? Oh, no way. Come on, way. Coach, come when, you on. A, when you have a buzzer out inside your, <laughs> in your jersey that's telling you if the curve or the fastball is coming, that's unbelievable. The lie detector test determined that was a lie. Well, I mean, even hitting the pots and pans. There was a great podcast I listened to about it, too, and it was really informative. So, no, and they actually well, beat the Yankees. So I'm saying, I'm saying no way I don't count that one. And well, no one in baseball counts it either. Here's a ground ball right side, could do it. The Houston Astros are world champions. Well, what's the difference when you're calling our plays when Fletcher's dribbling the ball up the court and you're saying New York, New York, New York? <laughs> that's all, yeah, but that's all research from before. I don't, I'm not trying to steal any signs or anything like that. The Astros stealing signs, brutal. I mean, that was that's embarrassing. And... This looks like this could be a pod of its own. So I'm going to pull it right <laughs> back to basketball. So for listeners out there, you know, they may only know you as a coach. So let's catch them up a little bit. Give us a pre-rider day synopsis of you. Yeah, you know, I was a basketball player, um, you know, in high school. And, and I had to make a decision, right, and baseball as well. I played soccer, too. I played three sports. But, you know, came down to baseball or basketball for my choice, you know, and it was kind of a last minute decision for me. I went basketball financially. The scholarship offer was better. Baseball does a lot of splits with all the players that they have. So you had to pay a little bit. So I went down to basketball route and I picked the Division two school um, in New Hampshire and um, yeah, it was a magical time for me. 107 and 24 in four years. We won all the time. I tell people, you know, go to a program that's going to win because everybody's happy when you're winning. The coach says hello to you. You're laughing. You're joking. Um, so it was an awesome experience. You know, I ha had a good career there, All-American. And um, yeah, I signed with an agent. And, you know, signing with that agent, I, I started playing in the USBL, which was a you know, before the NBA Summer League really got going, it was it was big in the, in the mid-90s in the U.S., played in that. And then I bounced around for a while, played in a bunch of different countries, um, you know, had a great experience. And, um, yeah, I left basketball, though, in 1999. In 1999, I left basketball, and I went to work at ESPN. So I worked at ESPN for a year and came back to basketball with the Birmingham Bullets. And that's how I got to England. I came back to England in 2000 with the Bullets. And, um, yeah, I played for the Bullets for a few years. I actually went to Belgium in between there. And then the Riders, uh, Panthers, and now I'm a coach. So, um, you know, I have been all over the world. And I almost stopped playing. You know, when I went to ESPN, I thought my career was done. And, um, you know, all of a sudden I got a phone call. And um, I came back. Came back to playing basketball, which um, I'm happy I did. Yeah, thank goodness that happened. So talk to us about how the opportunity arose to coach in Leicester. How did that journey start? Yeah, listen, I uh, was um, I was actually teaching at the time. I had just finished playing for the Birmingham Panthers, and I was teaching at a school in, uh, in Birmingham, uh, teaching PE. I was a little unsure on what the next step was basketball-wise, but I loved the teaching job that I had. 
And um, I got a message from from the riders asking me if they would be interested, if I would be interested in, in going for the job. Actually, Dan Routledge sent me that message. You know, he was a friend of mine and you know, I had done a lot of TV work with him. And he, you know, I guess he put my name forward to the people at Leicester. And and I said, yeah. And um, I came up and had an interview with them. And um, yeah, I stayed with my teaching job, though. That's a, you know, wow. a story I don't know too many people know. My first year when I coached the riders, I taught in Birmingham as well. So I would teach in Birmingham. I would leave Birmingham about 3.30, 4 o'clock, drive up through the traffic to Leicester and um, have practice every night in Leicester. So the first year was quite hectic. I didn't want to give up that teaching job. I wanted to make sure that um, – you know, the coaching was right for me. So I said, I asked them if I could do both. They said, Hey, no problem. And um, yeah, I, uh, I grinded it out that season. Uh, you know, it was, uh, it was certainly a challenge, but, um, but yeah, that's how it came about. And uh, uh, you know, I had played for Leicester, so uh, I knew the people pretty well and I understood the passionate fan base that they had. Now they, they didn't have a good record. They were always at the bottom of the table. So I love that because I looked at it as a challenge to really bring them back up. And I thought that with the, with the fan base and with the ownership that they had, I felt like that um, it was possible and it was doable. And, um, you know, it was a challenge that I looked forward to. Yeah, for sure. And look, from a coach's perspective, of course, all the plaudits rightly fall at your feet. The team and individual accolades have already, you know, cemented you as a BBL great, you know, in my eyes at least. So as we all know in the room, you can only be as successful as your environment. And it seemed on the outside that the club has grown with you as a coach, you know, the team success across the board from college to the pros, the community programs, the new arena, you know, I could go on. Clubs around the league admire the riders' infrastructure. What would you personally attribute that success to well i think you know the people working here you know we didn't have a huge staff when we came in obviously with kevin routledge and the routledge family uh on board um you know they have such a, a good reputation in leicester um and then when russell levinston came on uh you know his passion his commitment his drive to get things done uh certainly it was a factor in anything we did on and off the court and i think that there was a passion there not only on the court but off to really get this thing going in the right direction. And then the bottom line is we had just great fan support. And what I mean, it's not just, you know, good game. It was doing all the little things that you needed volunteers to do. If we didn't have those volunteers, there's no way we would be where we'd be right now. They did so much for us in the early going to get us uh, moving in the right direction. So, you know, that, that, that group of fans and that are still, actively coming to games and supporting our club. They're the ones that really kept this thing afloat because without them, we wouldn't be in the position where we are. No, I love that. And, you know, look, success of this particular roster is still pending. You know, the season's still going, but in terms of a group to coach, you know, a group you are with on a daily basis, where do you rank them with the teams of yesteryears? You know, I'm, I'm sure they're, are some big characters that you can fondly remember, you know, so we got big Tony Rowe, Andrew Sullivan, Barry Lamble, Adam Williams is a, a, a name drop right there. Yorick, Taylor King, mm. Zaya Taylor, who, by the way, recently on the show said that you taught him all he needs to know about fashion. It, can you confirm? Is that true? Uh, <laughs> came on with the, the pink robe. He said that that may have been <laughs> the Versace robe at that. <laughs> Man, there's no fashion tips going to Zaire, Zaire from me. 
But I will say this. He did come to practice like that. He would come with a suitcase to practice, too, which was always fascinating to me. He'd be pulling a suitcase into practice. That's, you know, most guys come in with the backpack. Or the back. he'd, pull, he'd pull a suitcase into practice. And I have so many stories about him that I'm probably not going to go into. Right um, I love Zaire Taylor. He was one of my favorite players ever. That guy could dominate a game without taking a shot. Uh, and he did not care about the stat sheet i mean he was so locked into what the team uh, was doing he was an awesome but what a character he was but yeah when you look at the this year's team you know compared to other teams i'll say this i feel like that we have a group of guys that um really mentally are locked in as any team i've ever had it helps to have some ivy leaguers around you know we have two ivy leaguers and we have aaron falzone who went to northwestern which is almost ivy league i guess but um you know all kidding aside I feel like that uh, this group really sets itself apart or this in the same uh, category as a lot of the great teams I have because mentally uh, they're, they're really locked in and uh, I enjoy learning uh, from them. You know, I think that um, with all the great teams I had and all the great players that I've had come in, I've learned so much from them. And I think my first season, I think that's something that I realized was that, wow, you could learn so much from all these guys. These guys have so much experience. And, you know, this year is the same. You know, we when we go over game plans and we go over what we want to do, it's not just me talking and them listening. It's us together coming with the best ideas that we can. Now, obviously, you have to have one guy that makes the final decision. But, um, you know, we collaborate on everything. And this team this year has been phenomenal with that. I really enjoy, you know, talking basketball and, um, and breaking down the game with this group. Yeah, that's awesome, Coach. But like Jay just mentioned, you've coached some unbelievable teams, some unbelievable players as well. And I used to love the battles that we used to have with Eagles versus Riders. And, and I actually feel like the last two years, the rivalry hasn't quite felt the same. And I think maybe that you know, with Lions in the mix have probably played a big part of that. But let's talk about the teams that you hated to face over your coaching career. So two teams, what are the two toughest teams that you hated to face or you that you just love to face just because of the competitiveness of them? Yeah, I mean, listen, I'm just going to stick with the Eagles on this one. I don't know, like, each team, what team was there. I'll, I'll give you some players, obviously. But, um, but yeah, you know, these Eagles riders uh, rivalry was, was phenomenal. We went through such a stretch where we were just seeing each other in all the finals, uh, year in and year out. Every regular season game was played like a final. Yes. Um, it was amazing. And I do believe that the league really needed that at the time, too. I feel like that – you know, I can remember being down on the floor in these finals and just thinking to myself, man, this is good basketball right here. Good size, strength, intelligence, all that stuff was out on the floor. And I felt like the league went through, you know, was navigating through some tough times right before that. And I believe that that, that rivalry really helped uh, get the league going in the right direction and really showed that, you know, we could you know, bring this league back to where it was. But yeah, you know, playing against the Eagles is always a challenge, obviously with Fab. Uh, on the other side, um, I had played against Fab a lot. I mean, the first time I played against Fab, I remember just thinking to myself, who is this dude, man? Like, I mean, I, you know, you, I played around the world. I've played in the park. I played where I never seen anybody play the way he played. I mean, he was so unique and in, in how he went about the game and his, his disruption on the defensive end, how he can just change the game that way. 
Uh, but competing against him, you, you had to bring your best because you knew he was going to bring it. He was such a difficult player to prepare for because of all the intangibles that he brought. It's Charles Smith, you know, any team that he was on, you know, you just see him all of a sudden, you see the ball heading over to him and you'd be like, no. And he was just buried <laughs> a big shot. Um, but yeah, all those Eagles teams for me were just so you know, competitive, so intelligent, and just had such a, so many big time players that would make big time plays. And, and obviously with number 44 now, um, you know, and in the past, uh, what a unique, special player he is to go against. It's so hard to defend him and, and deal with him. But, you know, those, those teams with the Eagles, I mean, he had the clean sweep year. That was such a tough year with Martin and with Andy. Um, you know, when he was on the dark side over there before he came over <laughs> to, the, to the before he came over the other side of the forest. But um, yeah, I mean, I think that um, that team was really tough to play yeah. against. Yeah. Um, you know, just the strength. Andre Jones was so tough. Chapman, when Chapman was out there, six six guard, it was really tough to play against. So yeah, I mean, I just I think the Eagles set set themselves apart as the team that was the hardest to play. But you didn't hate playing against them. You kind of loved it because it, the way it raised. You, you know, knew that looking, the level was going to be at yeah. an all-time high for sure. 100%. I wasn't looking for him in the draw, though. I wasn't like, I hope yeah. we get the Eagles. I never said that. But, um, um, but you know, it was just a fun, fun time to be a coach and to be competing. And, man, we had some great games over the yeah. years. Great games that people forget about, too, that weren't in finals that were, that were great games. Yeah, you can almost compare that rivalry to – the eighties with the, the Lakers Celtics just constantly coming up against each other, every single final. And, and like you said, like you knew that you were going to see the best version of yourself as a player, because we knew that your teams was going to bring that out of us, but let's just talk about individual players over the course of your career. Just give us a couple of names, three players who you would say are probably the toughest three players that you faced. Well, I'll go to back to when I was a player a little bit too, you know? Um, okay. Uh, so, you know, when I, when I came in this league, I came in this league in 2000 and, um, there were so many great players in this league at that time. So many great guards, you know, like when you go down the list of point guards, he had to cover every night. It was extremely challenging each night. You know, you had TJ Walker, obviously from Newcastle, um, you know, Rob Yanders, Ted Berry, John Thomas, yeah. uh, Randy Duck, um, Nate ranking Terrell Myers. I mean, these are all the guards in the league at the same time. So every night you're coming mm -hmm. up against these players that are just like, man, like, what am I going to do with him tonight? What am I going to do? You know, but there was one guy that I know covering that was the hardest guy to guard was John Thomas. Uh, John Thomas played for Cheshire, um, in 2002 and 2003, small guy, but strong. He was one of the most difficult players to defend because he was lightning quick and he could change on, you know, change direction on a dime and then he could pull up and hit the jump shot. So he was always, I always used to say he was the toughest guy I ever had to guard in this league. Me personally coaching, um, you know, I got to go with Charles Smith. I mean, you know, yeah. what, you know, obviously when we had drew, we had, we had the guy that could disrupt him a little bit, but you know, he was so difficult to defend and he always was able to come up with the big player, be in the right spot to catch the ball and hit the big shot. And he was a nightmare. And I'll say fab too, because how do you prepare for a guy like that? You know, mm -hmm. you, how do you, how do you prepare for a guy that's going to cover five guys at the same time on the floor you know, that had that physical presence. Um, he was, he was uh, just, uh, you know, so unique that made him uh, so tough to stop. John McCord back in the day, I didn't guard him. He was bigger. 
couldn't deal with him. He was six, seven, handled the ball, did, did everything. Um, so yeah, there's so many greats in the league. Uh, Terrell Myers though, I think too, he was another guy. Um, he played for Sheffield. He ended up leading the ACB in scoring a couple of years later in Spain. You know, he had played in this league and he was the reason, one of the reasons why I came to this league, he's from Connecticut, a Connecticut guy. I knew him. I actually had called him before I came over to ask, what do you think? Oh yeah. He's like, you'd love it. Um, you know, you'd love Birmingham. Uh, he was right about that. I did love, love it there, but he was a tough cover too. So yeah, if you look back at the rosters in 2000, when I came in, just loaded with talent, loaded with tough matchups. Yeah, some some great names right there. That was real, like sort of that. That was kind of my era. I think growing up as well. Terrell Myers, I remember greatly. I, I thought he was terrific. But uh, you know, look back to this this season. This is such a balanced team, it, and it seems unfair to speak about just one player. But the general, as we like to call him here, Gino Crandell, was just named Player of the Month, rightly so. You know what what a run he's on at this particular time. What what's it been like working with him this season? Yeah, it's been awesome. Uh, you know, again, we, we had Jonah Matthews in here at the beginning of the year. We, we signed him out of USC, a uh, really good player. And he got here and he was here for, for a little while and he was talented. But, you know, he, he, he thought that, um, you know, he was going to go back home, get ready for the draft and, you know, we'll see you later. So we had to find somebody. Right. So all of a sudden we're like, well, OK, um, I, I got I got a. a an email about a guy, Gino Crandell. So I started to look at him. I saw De La Salle High School he went to. I was like, De La Salle High School? That's where Cameron Rundles went to school. So I called Cam and I said, hey, Cam, I said, well, I got this guy, Gino Crandell, that just came through, you know, on an email. He goes, you got a chance to get him? I go, yeah. He's like, do it now. Don't even think really? twice. <laughs> I said, well, he goes, don't even think twice. Just do it now. Trust me, Rob. Trust me. Do it now. And um, yeah, after looking at him and after Cam's, uh, you know, recommendation, it was a no brainer. Gino is, uh, yeah, you should see him in practice. Um, I, you know, people keep saying to me, wow, he, some of the things he does in the game, you should see him just playing one-on-one -on -one in practice. Uh, he is uh, incredibly gifted with the ball. Um, but what I love about Gino, there's a couple things I love about Gino. I love his toughness, competitiveness. I always say like, when I look at players, I always ask this question. I started asking this from the beginning of my coaching career. Would I take him to the park in the, you know, against, you know, competitive players where you had to try to win to stay on all day? You know, when you used to go to the park back in the 90s, nobody goes to the park yes. probably more, but back in the 90s, in the 80s, when I was growing up, like you better win or else you're going to be sitting there. You all lose, day. you better go home because yeah. you're going to play another game. So you, so you better bring the right people in the car. So Gino gets a seat in the car. I mean, he's getting in the car. I don't care who we're playing, when we're playing, double rims, no nets, no matter what, wind, rain, he's getting in that car because he is a guy that you want to compete with at any time. I think the teammates feel the same about him with that, is that, you know, you could have great player, but maybe he doesn't bring out the best in, in his teammates. Gino does bring out the best in his teammates. The players like him, um, they respect him, and they love what he brings on the floor. And then the other thing with Gino is he's so smart. He's a super duper smart kid. Like, you know, when you go over the game plan for the other team, you know, he has some great points to come up with. You know, he come over to me during the game. He's reading the game so well. So the athletic ability, the speed, the scoring, the passing, that's unbelievable. But the competitiveness and the intelligence to go on top of that 
makes him, you know, uh, a tremendous player and a player that I could see having some great success. I mean, remember, this is only his second year out. Yeah. I think the future is extremely bright for him. He's been uh, awesome to work with. I, th- I think like when he came onto the show as well, like he was such a good guest. We really enjoyed having him. And I think at the start of the year, looking at some of the preseason games and stuff like that, you know, of course we saw all the moves and everything else like that. And you always wonder, is there some substance to that? And I think he kind of reminds me a little bit of yourself. I think, especially sort of like defensively, that. he j- just, everybody seems riled by him. Like, even if he's not guiding them, he seems to have them a little bit rattled. You know, he, he just getting around them. He, he just around the waist all the time, you know, talking to them. You wonder if a player like that's got substance and he just looks great. And, he's, and he seems to be getting better for you. Well, look, man, and you're right about that. And that's the other thing. And I'll get to that in a second. But when you go from, you know, playing at a, a mid-major um, and then all of a sudden you show up at Gonzaga for your senior year and you're playing close to 20 minutes a game on Gonzaga. And I read a lot of articles and it's part of the recruiting is, you you know, you go down this rabbit hole and you try to find stuff about players. And there's been so many times I went down that rabbit hole and I'm like, whoa, I can't take that guy. <laughs> but when I, when I saw that, I saw – you know, with the Gonzaga's coaching staff was saying how quickly he picked everything up. And it's been amazing. It's almost like he's been here for four years. So if you can go there and do that and play a totally different role than he was playing at his other school, he's getting all the shots, making all the plays. To me, that was impressive. You know, you look at his numbers at Gonzaga. Okay. You know, solid in the minutes he played, they don't jump off the page, but to be able to adapt like that on the fly at such a high level, was uh, was awesome to see. And I do think, as you said, he is improving. I think, you know, last year he played off the ball a lot um, in the Czech Republic. Um, and I think that, um, you know, this year he's got the ball in his hands a lot more. And I think that his ability to, to set players up gets better and better and better every day. Now he's learning our players and all that, but I could seriously see him even getting better as the years goes on and, and, and being a real tough point guard to deal with in any league. Absolutely. Coach, let's get to the other side of your life, which fans and followers of this league may not get an opportunity to see. And and that's your real family, man. And we also know the insane schedule of a head coach. But one thing that I've consistently heard from your players is how much you do value family. So how do you find to manage to balance the, the two uh, the coaching and then your family, is it perfectly balanced? Or is one of those things that, you know, your family understands that during the season, you know, they're probably not going to see you as much. Yeah. Listen, my wife is the, is, is great. You know, she's, she's been wonderful ever since we met uh, in understanding, you know, what it takes uh, to coach at this level and, and, you know, how I feel about, you know, putting the work in, she's awesome how she manages everything. Um, so I have to give her a shout out. Sarah has been, uh, you know, amazing, amazing with that, taking care of the family, but yeah, you know, you, you have to try to get the right balance. You know, you, you hear about these NFL coaches that are in the office, uh, you know, 20 hours a day. You can't do that. I mean, I think you burn yourself out with that. So you have to have the right balance on and off the court to keep this going. This is my 14th season here. So, you know, I think I would have been burned out a long time ago if it was just basketball and I didn't have that. You know, I, when I first started coaching, I had my son. And I know a lot of people used to see him. He's now in university. Uh, so he was a little kid running around with me. It was just him and I here. Um, so, you know, I had the scouting report in one hand, laundry in the other. 
but we would have such a good time traveling to games and all that. And now I have the two little ones at home that, um, you know, no matter what happens, we've had some tough losses this year. So no matter what happens, um, you get home and, and they're smiling at you and hugging you and, and doing what they do. It really brings you, brings you back. You know, as a coach, sometimes you could take these losses so hard and they're, they're, they're so tough. And, but when you have that balance with the family and you have a wonderful wife like, like Sarah is, you can, you can feel a little bit better when you go back home. Puts it all in perspective for sure. No doubt. No, absolutely. I love that. And I, I think as family men, should I say, all of us kind of understand that and really, really appreciate that and value that, that time. And, and I, I, and I think guys, balance. yeah, and I think it's important that, you know, for me as a coach, I have to understand that about my, my players as well, you know, and I think that, you know, I, I've always been the kind of guy that will understand, you know, if you need something, you know, for family or whatever, you know, there's been so many times the players come to me and say, coach, I don't know if I can make it this day. I got, you know, you have to kind of understand that side of it. And I think that we've had a great balance here at Leicester with that. We feel like we're, you know, a lot like Newcastle as well with our fans and our volunteers and supporters. We feel like it's a big family here too. And I think that's, what's a little unfortunate about the season for our club. I'm sure for other clubs is they're not getting that experience that they normally get. When you play for the riders, it isn't just about what goes on in between the lines. It's about the contacts you make. It's about the friends that you make uh, the family that, you know, we've had players that haven't been here nine, 10 years, but they still stay in contact with so many people in, in our organization. So I think that it helps when you have that kind of atmosphere, you know, maybe the players will go a little harder in practice. Maybe the players We'll be more together. And I think that um, we've always wanted to, uh, you know, to have that that here in Leicester. Yeah, trust me, we we were actually talking about a couple episodes ago about what's important to a player and what's attractive to a player. And I and, you know, you just mentioned that about the writers and the culture is here the same in Newcastle. While I've been here so many years, it started with Fab and now with Ian McLeod is, you know, they understand that family side, especially for me who got two kids. If, you know, if I got an appointment or if I got to do something with my family, you know, that's an excuse absence for training. And for me as a player, that makes a huge difference. Yeah. And, and I think that was the same for me as a player, you know, and I've had I've had coaches. And, you know, when you play for so many coaches, I play for so many coaches around the world. You get to see what to do, but also what not to do. Um, so I think that, um, you know, I always wanted to be that guy that the player could come to and um, it could be understanding to, to the situations that arise. And when you're in the job, as long as I have, the situations have come up like that. And I think that, um, you know, it's uh, it's very valuable to, to, to your club. And it's very valuable to, to the team on a whole because they know you got your back. Um, and, you know, I think a lot of times people will see, you know, I might say, what, what are you doing? Or I yell, so, you know, as a coach, you do that. And like, you know, they may think something different, but, you know, when it all comes down to it, uh, I love my players and I'll do anything for my players. And, um, you know, I want them to, to understand they got me in their corner. I absolutely love that. And um, yeah, there's definitely a balance to be had that it looks like you strike really, really well, you know, and that, and that, that does give you a little bit of license maybe to be hired sometimes at the right, at the right moments, you know, it's expected and, and it's taken well, but Hey, we need to ask you one last important question. Okay. okay. I know you're extremely proud of your Italian heritage. Okay. <laughs> a country world renowned for its cuisine. So, yes. If you had to pick one dish to represent you, to represent Italian culture, what would it be? 
one. Wow, man, I don't know if I can do that. I'm going to have to give you a couple. I'll tell you why, because there's been women in my life, important women in my life uh, that have that one dish. So I'm going to give one from each. All right. How about that? Yeah, uh, that's fair. My grandmother, Nicolina, God rest her soul. Um, she was uh, the most amazing cook around. So amazing that when I went over somebody else's house, I just couldn't even eat their stuff. You know what I mean? I'm like, what's this? You know, like I could never eat a, a sauce out of a, a can. Never. You know, she made the most amazing meatballs and sauce. I'm going to give that for her. Just simple meatballs and sauce. Amazing. My mother does a great chicken cutlets, fried chicken. When she comes over, she's been over many times here. She makes the chicken cutlets. And then the last one's my wife, who um, is not Italian, Italian last name now, but she makes uh, incredible prawns, all right? Prawns with linguine in a cream sauce. Mm. And um, I know when that comes out, uh, it's going to be a great night. There you go. That is, uh, I think that's enough to make the listeners and ourselves <laughs> hungry. So yeah, uh, me, now. me and Drew are going to have to leave <laughs> and go and cook something up. That was absolutely <laughs> great, but... Coach, it's been great to finally get you on here. We, we kept talking about where's the right time to, to, to kind of bring you in. I was looking forward to this. And as always, you never disappoint. Good luck <laughs> with the rest of the season and the battle for those trophies. We'll speak to you soon, Coach. Thanks, guys. Keep up the good work. Talk to you soon. Thanks a lot, Rob. Appreciate you, man. See you Thanks, later. Coach. All right. Good night. How about that? What a guest. Coach Rob always brings his A-game, and tonight was no different. Mr. Lasker, obviously, since that catch-up with Coach Rob, we saw Leicester Riders crash out of the trophy to the London Lions. The league and playoffs just left for them. Now, it's plausible that this team could end up empty-handed. They certainly will be right there, but it's not a given with this roster, would that be seen as a huge failure? Unfortunately, yes. The Leicester Riders since 2012 have been held to a different standard to where every season, no matter who's on the roster, whether it's a most returning team or, you know, a team full of rookies, the standard there is trophy or bust. Similar to the Newcastle Eagles over a decade who's been standing in those same shoes and now you can even add the London Lions to that conversation as well. Those three clubs where 75% of the league success for them is just making the playoffs, happy days. But for the Leicester Riders, Newcastle Eagles, and the London Lions, it's silverware or bust. And, you know, we went through a two-year slump here at Newcastle where we went silverware lists. And, you know, even though we had a good solid record, you know, had a good season. All people talked about was you didn't win anything. So this team is more than talented enough to have a trophy at the end of the year. But they got time. I mean, they, they still control their own destiny. You know, they only have one or two losses in the league, which I think, you know, they're top of the table. And then also they got the playoffs. So still a lot to play for. But to answer your question, Jay, unfortunately, it's championship or bust. Yeah, I mean, I, I think as well, the other thing you've got to take into consideration is it will be such a shame because I very much doubt that that entire roster would return for the following season as well. Gino Crandell is having an 
outstanding season and then there will be a couple of guys I'm sure that Rob will maybe want to rotate and 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 freshen up as you do you always try and freshen up that squad just a little bit whether it's one or two pieces or whether it's a lot of pieces it depends what you have so you know for me I, I hope that they do something special this season because like I said they're one of my favorite teams that I've seen it just in terms of I like the way that they play I like the way that they play together I like the camaraderie that they have but you know, look, to be known as a great team in the BBL, you've got to put trophies in the cabinet and two of them are already off the table and that can promote a little touch of desperation sometimes, I think. You know, when those games are going to start coming thick and fast towards the end of the season and going into the playoffs, you don't want to be feeling the pressure of, of that need to win rather than just having that hunger to win. So we shall see what happens. Like you said before, Still a lot to play for, so we don't want to be too down about it. But I thought that would be an interesting question. Okay, before we wrap this episode, I'm kind of hijacking the fans' mailbag. There is something that I've seen on the socials, a lot of people talking about it, and I've held it away from the Marriott Minute because I think we need to discuss this a little deeper. Mr. Lasker, what are you making of this weird, almost flirting between the London Lions and Leangelo Ball? Much to do about nothing. I mean, let's look at this from this way. Leangelo Ball is an import right now. Who are the imports for the London Lions? DeAndre Liggins, are they getting rid of him? Absolutely not. Dirk Williams, are they getting rid of him? No, sir. Orlando Parker, nope, he's balling. I mean, the only question mark is Kevin Ware, but right now he's settled into a, a nice role of six man producing, giving them a spark. So you're going to get rid of him for an unknown commodity, which you don't know what you're going to get out of ball. So it's not as much to do about nothing. I think it's just to stir the pot. And, and if it were, if it were, I would be very disappointed at the London Lions and it would be very unprofessional because, again, you got four imports that's on that team who just played a game on Thursday. So for that reason, I think it's just a little tongue in cheek. However, I think he would be a great signing if we had the ability to have fans in the building because he would be a hot ticket. He would put bums on seats. But right now, that's not really a factor. So what's the point of bringing them in at the moment? There's no European campaign. So why would you try to disrupt the chemistry that took so long? Remember early episodes, we were coming on here talking about this team, you know, they, they're not a team. They don't want to play together and look at them. Now they've come together. They have a lot of chemistry about them. They figure things out and you're going to disrupt that. I don't, I, I don't, I don't see that happening. No, I mean, I agree with you. I think, I think there's a little bit of smoke with that situation. I do think that there's probably some truth that there, there's some interest, but I'm very similar to you that that move only makes sense probably more from an off court situation than an on court. You know, that that's, that's not me necessarily saying that Leandro Ball's not a good player, but he hasn't really done anything. And like you said, you've got four really strong players there that, um, you know, a few of them have already come out and say that hinted that they're on multi-year deals and stuff like that. The only one little piece of me that thinks something could happen sooner than, than it should is that 
this is Vince and this is London. And I think like in an interview, like he was kind of talking about that whole kind of factor, trying to bring that level to the capital. But again, until you can get fans in the building, I, I don't understand how you can really capitalize on, on that ball name and, you know. And also, if it's going to happen, it needs to happen ASAP because I don't know what the deadline is for this season, but usually it's the end of February yeah. unless you get an injury. So if it's going to happen, it needs to happen ASAP. But again, I don't see it happening. No. This could be an off-season thing and this could run. I just found it quite strange to put that on your socials with your players looking at that though. That was my only thing, you know, like just if you're, you know, those guys, you're probably sat there thinking like, you know, surely not, but you, you don't want those things playing around in those guys' minds at that particular time. It's like, I mean, we live in a social media era now. I mean, it's like the girl who's either married or in a relationship every once in a while, she might just post a pic of her nice <laughs> outfit by herself. <laughs> Why do they do it? For attention. That's all. Just to make sure that the the boyfriend or husband, you know, just, just to let them know that hey, I still got it. So you need to pay more attention to me. That's right. So that is the equivalent of showing a little bit of leg there. London Lions flirting a little, with a red mini skirt on. You know, you know how it is. Brilliant. Okay, episode twenty three is a wrap. Thanks to Coach Paternostro for his time. Thanks to all of you for lending us your ears. And if you're hitting us on the YouTube, then eyes and ears. We appreciate you as always. Drew, lead us out. Tune in next week, guys, as we invite Killer Cam to the show. This episode is called The Fan Experience as we invite five lucky fans to the show to enter. All you need to do is like, follow, and retweet the graphic on Twitter and on Instagram. Like, follow, and tag a friend to qualify. Competition closes on Tuesday at midnight. We hope to see you next week on the show. The show. Thanks for listening to the BBO Show. The BBO Show is a 21 media original podcast produced by Corey Mallory with your host, Jay Marriott and Drew Lasker. Keep up to date with the show by following the BBO on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, where you can find details on future episodes, events, and fan interaction. Until next time. <laughs>